Welcome to Coffee and Change. I'm Bill Kirst. As a business professional, a U.S. veteran, a lifelong learner, and an active listener, I help others navigate, understand, and adapt to our ever-changing workplace and world. As a third culture kid, I call many places home. Presently, Seattle is where I explore my creativity through the power of words and images. In this podcast, we journey with our guests, gaining knowledge and inspiration from their stories. Welcome back, and thanks for listening. Gatherings are like gateways. They take us to another place as humans. We express, inquire, engage, and celebrate best when gathered. Without our togetherness, we may have never known the fullness of friendship or the fathoms of love fulfilled. By its very definition, gathering is another kind of awakening, because suddenly one scene changes. And as the Spanish poet Antonio Machado says, you are now in a different world. And as the Irish mystic John O'Donohue reminds us, that sense of difference and otherness is always what makes us wonder. My guest on this episode helps organizations and leaders wonder about the gathering effect. Lindsay Kaplan's expertise is in scripting experiences in gathering to help boost morale, engagement, and retention for the long term. From her beginnings as a comedy writer in Hollywood on shows like Curb Your Enthusiasm, to her days as an organizational psychologist and head of talent for successful Silicon Valley companies, Lindsay's journey and change has brought her to a place where she can help others gather to make change stick. Enjoy the conversation. My name is Lindsay Kaplan, and I am an organizational psychologist and communication strategist. And what I do is I help companies script or re-script their change efforts for the effect that they want. And the tool I use to do so is gatherings. So I love the word that you just use, rescript. Rescript for, I think you said a change effort. So that's something that's near and dear to my heart, obviously change and guiding people through change. I've had the privilege of doing that as we connected before. Um, and I shared for like two decades. So we're probably at the biggest rescript <laughs> moment <laughs> of certainly my career and 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 probably many people's career. So I'd love to maybe start there from the standpoint of like gathering. We're on the precipice right now, um, me personally and professionally, you personally and professionally, of starting to come together again in organizations. Um, I won't I won't call this a a past COVID time. I think we are still in COVID times very much. And still, people are trying to re-script what it means to get together. So maybe we start there. Like, how is it, how is this kind of coming together from your perspective a few weeks into, I mean, I think are we, what, two weeks beyond the, the mask mandate being lifted? I mean, it feels like it's all a little blurry to me because I think I was on a I was on an airplane the day after the mass mandate got lifted um, in airports and, and airplanes. 
And even still, there were about two thirds of the people on planes and airports that airports that I was in that were wearing masks. Oh, wow. And so even that's like a reminder of we're not quite back to where we were. So just thoughts on that. Oh, so many thoughts. <laughs> it's so interesting that you say, you know, a lot of people were still wearing their masks. And personally, I think that that's great. But what that makes me think about is just how hard change is in general. You know, mm -hmm. we think about the opportunity that we have now to reimagine work and so many of our practices. And I'm reminded that change is hard for anyone. <laughs> and when we say we can change or rescript or redo our gatherings, this is something that's so cemented in ritual and quote unquote the right way um, that even though I think we have this opportunity and awareness to do something different and better now, it still can be hard for people to to want to or feel like they can make those changes. But maybe I'll just take one quick step back and just define gathering for Please. us because because it can mean so many different things to people. And I view gatherings as matching a message with a moment to create an effect. So there's some piece of content that I want to share with somebody else to help them feel or be moved or be changed. So it's less of a dinner party or maybe just a meeting in general and more there's some message I want to share. And in our companies, the reason why it's so interesting to me is that they're just the most common tool we use to spark movement or change. There's trainings, all hands, town halls, conferences, webinars. So that's my, you know, that's the, the tool that I use. And like a hammer, we can use it for different effects. And so that's, that's why I'm, I'm interested in this. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm very appreciative of that sort of the message and the moment, create, you know, using the message and creating the moment. Um, I think it was Marshall McLuhan, um, if I'm if I'm going back to my grad school days, so you can hold me accountable, Lindsay. But, um, you know, the message is the medium, I think is, is what it yeah. was. And that I have I have uh, stirrings of that as, as what you're what you're talking about, because we're in this world where um, you know, so much is being done in channels and fora of social media, which again, it's it, there's social in that title. But what we're lacking in all of those social media experiences is the social uh, connectivity um, at, at kind of at the heart of gathering. So, so one of the things I really like is you say, you know, making change stick is about when you think about the effect of gathering, you need to really look at it from the standpoint of what change are you trying to make stick? It's not just about announcing a change. It's not just about telling people, here's what you need to do in the change. It's about making sure that it it's sustainable and that it's successful. So there's so much change happening right now and people feel there's a little bit of a falsehood that they're getting a social gathering feeling through different medium, right? Um, but in their in their bodies and in their hearts, they still are hungry for a true gathering. I mean, I just got back, as we were talking about before, from a celebration of life. And that was a wonderful experience because it's a gathering. It's a true gathering. It's ritual. I was with people. And my body is exhausted in a different way because it's been so long since I've gathered. Hmm. So it was like using different muscles and different sort of heart space and headspace to to be in there. And I'm conscious of the fact that next week I'm going to be in my first work gathering in over two years at that size, at that level. I'm nervous. Well, I want to help you feel a little less nervous. Okay. That's maybe my implicit goal of this, but 
um, let's see. There's a lot to respond to. You know, one thing that stands out to me is we don't gather for the tool, we gather for the outcome or the effect, right? So we don't go to a yoga class to do poses. We go to a yoga class to feel better. Mm-hmm. And we don't go to a conference to look at slides. We go to a conference to be informed or to connect with people. And so, you know, as you mentioned, one thing I really help people do and crystallize is what's the effect that we're after? What's the before and after, basically? And mm-hmm. how do we intentionally script or rescript these gatherings for that effect? Because, you know, one thing we know, um, just by being the change nerds that we are, is 70% of change efforts fail. Like, we yeah. all know the statistic. And so one of the reasons, or the one of the big reasons, I believe, is because we're not gathering properly. Um mm-hmm. And we're not mobilizing and motivating people in the way that we should with this tool that we all know. So I think that's the opportunity. And and to sort of summarize, I think, the feeling that you're describing, I don't believe that we gather for content. (laughs) We gather for connection. And our job is to help people connect more to that content. So that's the opportunity. Um, And I think maybe there's finally this awareness that we can do better and do it differently because we not we all now have a bit of a higher bar. For sure, I I really want to kind of double down on that what you said because it's res- it's resonating. We don't gather for content; we gather for connection. And people that are um, responsible for planning gatherings um, should remember that and should kind of take that to heart. Um, sure, you have to put content together. Agendas matter. Um, logistics matter, content matters. But at the heart of it, if that content doesn't in fact enhance the sense of connection, then we should probably inquire a little bit more or investigate a little bit more or say, can we do better? Is that a fair, is that a fair statement or is that a little too, is that reaching too far? I, you know, I think that that's a fair statement. Um, I think one of the one of the things that we were taught early on, many of us in our educational institutions, is that we're there to be consumers of information. We sit and we listen and someone talks and we open our brain and they dump in information and we are fixed and we are learned it now. Um, and that's not necessarily how it works, especially in adult learning. We need to be involved in co-creating. So, uh, you know, one thing I see constantly and I help people do is not to start with the content, to start with the effect. So what are we wanting to see differently? What do we need from the people that we've gathered? Um, Do we need them to be engaged? Do we need them to comply? Do we need them to just be informed? That clarity produces the following choices that we make versus starting with which guest speaker do we want or what five things do we want to tell people? Because what you just said, Bill, people can get this content on their own. They can go online. They can watch the slide deck afterwards. That's not why they're there. They're there to connect to the material. And so that's where we should be placing our effort, especially in a, you know, a COVID or a post-COVID world. Yeah. I mean, there's so much research on this. You contributed to articles. There's a recent article that you shared with me. And one of the things that I really liked in this article is you you visually uh, convey sort of in the spectrum. And I think you just hit on a little bit of it. But I know this is just an audio that people will listen to, but I would love for you to walk through a little bit of that, you know, the the different axes, if you will, the the push versus the pull and the one size fits all versus the personalized. And 
there's different quadrants around this beautiful, you know, graphic that you've put together that really helped me understand like, oh, okay, that's why I understand why in this scenario that works, but in that scenario, this doesn't work. So can you talk a little bit about that? And we'll do the best we can for the listeners to kind of understand, but I encourage them and I'll put in the notes as well for them to go check that out. Yeah, sure. And thanks for that compliment. You know, I, I created this this model because I myself didn't have the language to tell my bosses or stakeholders why the gathering that they wanted wasn't going to have the effect that they hoped. And so this amorphous and ambiguous tool or change is very ambiguous. I wanted to give us all a common language so that we can self-diagnose um, what we're seeing. So basically, like you said, there's there's all the gatherings that we've been a part of tend to fall on two spectrums. On the x-axis, uh, actually let's start with the y-axis, is push and pull. So push is, you know, is the gathering being done at me? Am I passively consuming information? Is it mandatory? Do I have to be there? Or pull, do I want to be there? Am I co-creating? Am I a part of the experience? Basically, is the gathering being done at me or is it being done with me? The vast majority of gatherings that I think we've all been a part of probably would feel like push. Typically, that's, you know, maybe a company all hands or something like that. But if we think about another favorite type of gatherings, like a comedy show, we'd probably describe that as pull because the comedian needs our laughter there. There's a reason why we're in the audience and you can tell. So that's one spectrum. And then the other is one size fits all and personalized. And the question here is, is it made about anyone or is it made about me? So one size fits all, you know, the experience as participants, you sort of feel invisible. Like there's no reason for me to be there. They could be talking to anyone. Um, it's like going to Disneyland, doesn't matter who's in line, you're going to get the same exact ride. But personalized, it's made for me. And when I say that, people's initial response um, is, oh, that's expensive. I have to customize this gathering every single time. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is to make specific choices that actually enhance emotional connection to the material so that you feel a sense of connection to it and can see yourself in what is shared and expressed. So no, we're not recreating it every night. Um, it's the difference between, you know, a leader who who says the same speech a hundred times, but each time makes it feel as though it's made for those people in the room. So just in closing there, once we understand those spectrums, we can then A, have a common language and say, ah, I needed more pull, I needed more personalization, whatever that is, you know, you're going to a car mechanic and you can diagnose what's wrong with your car now. And then we can realize that different choices lead us to different quadrants and we can, you know, produce different kinds of effects based on based on these choices. So that's the model. As I thought about the power of kind of the visual that you created, one of the reasons I, I really liked it was I could interact with it in a way sort of in my own head, right? So I was able to say, okay, pull versus push. Let me think of an example that was more pull than push. And even when I thought of that example, what was really interesting was the sensations in my body were resonant to the to the experience. I was like, yeah, I, I liked that because as you said, a comedy show is a great example. A good comedian interacts with the audience, right? Plays off their laughter, maybe even pulls an audience member in and riffs off that. Um, I also like the way that you, when you put in the image and the, the graphic, you remind us kind of of that depending on the, the quadrant. So if you want to entertain, um, you might consider having 
you know, something between the one size fits all and, and, and the pull, right? That's more of an entertaining. If you want to engage, it would be between the pull and the personalized. Um, if you want to inform, it's more between the push and the personalized. And lastly, if you want to make it about compliance, it's between the one size fits all and push. The other piece I loved that you put around that were the, the sentiments. So I think you said in, in the entertain quadrant, it's about it's with you and about anyone. In the engage, it's with you and about you. In the inform, it's at you and about you. And the comply, it's at you about anyone. And those four pieces brought to life this piece for me because I was able to, to say, okay, walk through a couple examples of this. Even in my planning of a gathering next week, right? I'm, I'm able to look and say, okay, let me go through the agenda. <laughs> and if I were to go through the agenda and mark where each one of those activities resides on this graphic, it gave me a whole new insight to what's the balance. And more importantly, what's the moment, the experience I'm trying to create. Now I'm so curious about this gathering and I want to ask you more questions about it. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, please feel free to ask questions. It's, um, it may be a conversation that we should have after it's done, but feel free to ask. I can, I can do my best to, to kind of tell you at least what's on my mind presently. Yeah, well, I'm, I am really curious what came up from, for you when you saw this model. I just want to highlight two quick things. One is sure. this model is not static. I, I think, mm -hmm. you know, people see a two by two and they're like, ah, that is the answer. But what I'm really saying with this model, which is a, a compass actually, is that you can move around these different quadrants depending on the choices that you're making and people will experience it differently. Um, so, you know, and that that's an opportunity for people to, to see the fluidity and the flexibility. Um, and, and my goal is to help people make different choices. So, right. yeah, so tell me, you know, yeah, what what came to you when you saw when you yeah. saw the, what was an example of a gathering that you're like, ah, yeah, that's why that worked for me. Yeah, so so I think one of the first things that kind of came came up for me when I was looking at this, it was probably more in the the entertain and engage quadrants hmm. of the compass. Um, and the reason I kind of focused on those is because when I think about, well, let's just think about the type of changes that lots of corporations are, are going through. A lot of times we say um, to anyone, hey, we all have an opportunity to play a part in the change, right? Let's let's just say like digital transformation, for example, right? We all have an opportunity. Everybody can upskill. We can all learn. But one of the things that I find interesting in my experience is that if if a blanket blanket statement is put out there and we're said we're saying to everyone, like, isn't it great? We can all do this a couple of things happen. One is um, you don't necessarily get the excitement from everyone because they don't see themselves in what you're saying, right? You're waving this banner and yeah. they're like, I, I don't see myself on that banner. I don't see myself on that flag. Um, and so what happens is you get a bunch of people that uh, are clearly excited about that change, marching ahead, and then they turn around and they look behind them and they're like, where is everybody? <laughs> right? So that's, that's one thing that I'm very conscious of in working mm -hmm. with leaders and working with, um, you know, clients and customers. 
uh, it's not enough just to have that excitement and that sort of banner, uh, because that's more about the sort of about anyone, right? You're trying to make it so um, inclusive that what you're actually doing is you're making it so that it, the with you is gone, right? It's mm. it's more about anyone and almost like for everyone, but to the detriment of uh, an individual, if you will. That's just mm. one thing I've thought about in, in the past. A couple thoughts there. You know, it's interesting. I get asked, you know, often to watch gatherings and give feedback, which is truly my favorite thing in the world. And Oftentimes what I see and count is the number of times a leader will say, I'm so excited about X. I'm so excited about Y. And there's that's great, but there's no reason for the employees to get excited unless you show them why. Yep. So that's what makes that's what that makes me think about. Um, but more so, the core challenge I think of change and change management and change leadership is taking what's pull and personalized to you and making it pull and personalized to everybody else. Right. And that's the opportunity. That's why gathering is a communication skill. That's why the message is so important. That's why the moment is so important. And so that awareness of that blind spot you just expressed, I think, is really what I hope people eventually see. Yeah. And I think I think the other part of that is it's such an it's such an important lesson to kind of reflect on, which is I think more than half the work is um, identifying you know, where you want to go and the vision and, and the change that that I understand. But the other part of it is exactly what you just said, which is and and doing that, how do we help others see themselves in it? And that requires you to step out of your own, for lack of a better term, um, leadership pillar, leadership silo, leadership tower, whatever it is, and actually go understand and walk the pathway of of those that you're trying to gather and inspire in some cases, um, which which I think in itself is it starts from a place of admitting like you don't know because we're not mind readers, right? I mean, when when people plan gatherings and you, you gave a great example before, I think it's very common to get excited about a guest speaker, right? Like, oh, we just have to, if we could just get, if we could just get Lindsay, right? Like, <laughs> and everybody's like, if we could just get Lindsay, it, everything is going to be amazing. Well, we're in this world of like TED Talks and TEDx Talks and amazing speakers and, um, you know, stage presence. I've been to a lot of conferences where they got that person and a couple things happen. One is everybody in my in, in my assessment gets so enamored with that personality hmm. that when they go back to their workplace or back to their home or back to their life, they're actually left in a, a place of um, further discomfort because they're like, man, I loved that person and what they had. And now I go back and I'm like, I don't, I don't see any of that. Right. Hmm. So you've created a bigger strain or gap un, un, unintentionally. Um, or the person leaves them wanting more, right. They would, the buildup was so much. So, you know, we talk about keynote speakers, we talk about plenaries, we talk about all these parts of gathering and they're always, well, I shouldn't say always, they used to be the penultimate, right? Like, ooh, mm. do your hard work for three days and then you'll 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 earn the opportunity to see Brene Brown at the end of this conference, you know? Which is super cool. Which is amazing, which is totally cool. I think sometimes the challenge is after three days of stuff coming at people, right? Focused on the content, not focused on the moments, people are done. 
Mm. and they are drained and they are a little disconnected. And so sometimes they're not in a place where they can actually get the most out of that penultimate moment. So let me stop talking there and just get, get gather mm. some thoughts just based on experience. Gosh, many thoughts. Let me try to crystallize. Well, I think, you know, if you ask people why they liked a training class or a gathering or a guest speaker, it'll probably be because they felt emotionally connected to the material. Yeah. So, you know, the people who come back and say that was so awesome, we should hire that guest speaker. Um, again, it's the challenge of it felt pull and personalized to them, but not to everybody else. So that's why we recommend training classes is because we like them and not because they line up with other people's needs and, right. and what's applicable to them. So just keeping that in mind. Um, the conference example is such a good one. And I think there's a couple of reasons for what I'd call information overload or just stuffing the suitcase. One is, you know, again, the selling point is the content versus the connection. And then two, you know, the metrics that we're after really inhibit us from anything different. The metrics that we're after are number of seats or number of speakers or number of sessions. It's a quantity game versus a quality game. And when that's the case, it's really hard to make change happen. But, um, but again, the hope is that people can, do something differently and, yeah. and see that maybe it's not having the effect that they want. So. Well, and even, yeah. even in this, even in this medium, right. Podcasting, um, you know, it's not much different than kind of the example you gave around maybe a comedy show, right. Which is I, you know, as a, as a podcaster, I could get up here and say the same three questions. <laughs> I could do mm. the same script. I could just go through and it wouldn't be a very engaging experience for you as a guest, as, as you know, as as someone who's been asked to join. Um, or it could be very much about creating a moment and engaging and asking in a way that um, that has you participating as much as said host, right? Um, and I think. As you pointed out, we focus so much on the metrics part of conferences or, or gatherings or trainings. How many people attended? How many people completed? How many seats were filled? How many people bought subscriptions? How many people renewed their subscription? How many people will be here next year? All of that. Fine. But it doesn't get to the heart of how many emotional connections were made to what was presented or what was garnered and gathered. Um, and is that the reason they're coming back next year? Hmm. Well, those are compliance-driven metrics, mm -hmm. right? And so if someone says, what's the effect of the gathering? Oftentimes, if you show me what you're measuring, I can tell you what the implicit effect is that you want. Or maybe they don't know how to measure it. And so I think that's a, a very typical measurement. Um, but yeah, it's um, it, it, what you're doing in this podcast is you're making it with me and about me. Mm -hmm. You're making deliberate choices. And so I see it and the people that experience your gathering um, and the change that you're hoping to produce experience it too. It just comes from being a bit more intentional and outward focused versus being inner focused. Do you feel like we have to give corporations, organizations permission to do that a little bit because we're so sort of trained to those metrics? That we that we cited before, where people feel like that's the end goal is is um, 
quantity, not quality. It, does it start with giving permission to try something different? Well, you know, I worked in learning and development and, and organizational development for a very long time. And part of my frustration was the lack of fluency and sort of education around what this work could be and mm-hmm. should be. So, you know, giving executive presentations on how the department was doing, even if I drove them towards engagement metrics, like, you know, the behavior change or the buy-in or the number of people that spoke about it to their leadership team, it didn't really feel as tangible and concrete as number of butts in the seats. Mm-hmm. So I think it's it's an opportunity to educate people on what change looks like, because for many Many of us, and I understand why, it feels as though compliance is the way to go, especially when you're in a leadership position. You know, what I say goes or, you know, they should just fall in line. I can tell a lot about the culture of an organization by how they gather people. So mm-hmm. um, should we give people a free pass or should we give them permission? Yes, we should give them permission. But first, it comes from understanding what's getting in the way of people doing things a little bit differently. And I, I have a lot of empathy for why that is. Yeah, absolutely. I, I like that. I like that perspective of let's maybe focus on the things that are getting in the way and remove those obstacles, as mm-hmm. opposed to telling people, hey, you've got full permission to do whatever you need to. And a lot of times we do this, right? We do this in innovation. We do this in creativity. We say, oh, You've got a blank slate. If you could, if you had unlimited budget and you could go do anything, go ahead and do that. And it generates a lot of new ideas, but oftentimes we're not spending time removing the obstacles. So you could come Mm -hmm. up with a lot of new ideas and new ways to gather, but if you still have to bump into the same roadblocks and the same speed bumps because they're institutional or because no one's removed them, uh, it won't be long before you just go back to the way you were doing it. I, I think I, I think it's what I've seen is when people encounter that resistance over and over and over again, they just think, you know, I'm just going to go back to my desk and do it the way I know will lead to a good compliance report. <laughs> right. Which is, you know, why for me, when I'm working with clients, you know, it's the change within the change. They want to change their gatherings, but that in and itself is a change management project for most people. Mm-hmm. And so there's coaching that, you know, I help people with to just start small, start with a few small experiments versus let's throw the whole thing away and start fresh because that's not necessarily how change works. Right. And I think the other piece I really uh, enjoyed about the article was there was a piece in there that you wrote in this question of what do we need from the people we're trying to affect? Affect Mm -hmm. with an A versus effect with an E. Um, So what do we need from the people we're trying to change? Right. And I think oftentimes it goes back to something we were saying earlier. We forget to ask, we forget to even ask those people what hmm. we need, what, what what they want, first of all. And then the second part is we forget to um, ask, you know, we forget to uh, give them the opportunity uh, to tell them what we need in return. So to your point, if we're going to gather, this is what we hope to create. If we're going to gather, this is what we want people to walk away with and a sense of. Um, But if we don't state that, it's expecting a lot of the people that are joining this gathering to somehow intuit that. It's so interesting. I'll keep bringing up a comedy example just because I feel like it's fun. (laughs) 
Sure. But my favorite, my favorite comedian, Hannah Gadsby. You know who Hannah Gadsby? Oh is? yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she's great brilliant. Netflix special. Yes. So she had the show um, Douglas, mm-hmm. I think her most recent special, and I went to see it live. And you walk into the auditorium pre-COVID days, and there was this huge sign on the stage that said Douglas and a picture of a dog. And you know immediately what this is about. You know that it, the Douglas is the name of the dog, and you have some grounding in what this next hour is going to be. Mm-hmm. You can take that same lesson and apply that to change, to gathering, to communication. Oftentimes we walk into these walk-in or zoom in, whatever, to these gatherings, and we just see an invite and we don't know what we're going to expect. We know for adults that doesn't help anxiety, doesn't help the brain. Uncertainty actually is makes change a lot more challenging. So like you said, can we explicitly state up front, this is what we're going to talk about, but can you take it a step further and talk about the effect? Mm-hmm. So oftentimes what I see folks do is like, here's the agenda of topics, Finance is going to talk and then HR is going to talk, but they don't talk about or they don't share what the effect of that will be. So by Mm -hmm. the time you leave, you will know X, Y, and Z. Because again, we don't come for the content, we come for the effect. So um, I could talk about this all day, but there's small changes that we can make that give people more certainty, can reduce anxiety, can help people want to be at their gathering, can make change easier. But because we're really stuck in our ways, of kind of what we expect and what we do it's it's um uh yeah we get a little bit stuck yeah and and i think um you know the 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 piece that keeps coming to mind for me is the aspects like you said of grounding so you know s- help people find themselves or orient to your to your point when they first come into a meeting so a great example is Let's not just stare at a blank thing when we get there, you know, within Zoom and within Teams and you can actually have kind of these lobby staging areas, right? And this is something I had clients and customers start to do maybe about a year into the pandemic, which was, hey, rather than just saying you'll be let in when, you know, you're in the lobby, what if we actually designed a page that was quite warm maybe had some colors that were resonant with a sense of peace or whatever it is you're trying to create um, that are recognizable so that when people get there, one, they know they're on the right meeting. Because, you know, we we jump from one thing to the next sometimes and you're like, did I click the right link to get into this meeting? I hope I didn't click the wrong one. Um, So that was a grounding. But then the other part of it was it's actually the first opportunity to create a sensation for this meeting. Um, you know, pre-COVID, it was large conference spaces. And one thing that always threw me a little bit was the balance between getting people hyped up and mm. and alarming their systems. So I never understood the whole, like, you go into a conference and they're blasting music. And you're supposed to, you know, you've just gotten, maybe you've just gotten your little satchel with all your freebie goodies stuff. <laughs> And they usher you into this huge room and they're encouraging you to talk to people, but you can't hear over your own, you can't even hear your own voice. It's so loud. There's lights, there's lasers. You're trying to find your footing and you're supposed to say, hi, my name is where you're like, it just, I don't know. I I would, maybe it's because I'm an introvert, but I never mastered that. (laughs) 
Well, this is great. This is a great example of with you and at you and about you and about anyone. I, I love the the warm welcome or you use much more eloquent words, but one thing I encourage people to do is have a question on the screen as people arrive yeah. that that helps them personalize the content from the get-go. So today we're going to talk about X, what does this topic make you think about? Or, you know, how have you seen this value show up in your day-to-day? And mm -hmm. it it's a gentle sort of awareness that there's other people there that you want their contributions versus passively waiting for someone to tell you something. Yeah. Um, the conference example is so fascinating too because you can – have a very push experience, which is sort of, I think what you're describing is pushing mm -hmm. you to get loud and dance, which is, oh, my pet peeve, like being told what to do in that way, because we're adults. But anyway, um, you know, I've seen this when I go to like big, big concerts, someone will say like, come on, Chicago, get louder, yeah. which is very like push. Mm -hmm. Or I've seen people say, Hey, Monday night, I'm so glad you're here. We really need your support and your laughter tonight. We're so happy to see you. Mm -hmm. Those are very different ways of achieving different effects. Right. One, right. one small choice, one small sentence. We're not redoing the whole gathering. We're just making small deliberate choices that invite people in, show them that you need them, that you care about them, and that their contribution is important. And I think I really like that you name kind of even the concert experience, because when I think about the most memorable concerts I've been to, Lindsay, it's the ones where I felt like the artist was talking directly to me, despite the yes. fact that I was gathered in an arena. So a couple people come to mind. Sam Smith, incredible, for mm -hmm. obvious reasons. But Sam Smith and Adele are two people that I saw in concert here in Seattle, both you know, incredible singers. However, I intentionally bought the furthest seat from the stage. So I was like, against the wall, right? I did this for two reasons. One is um, I sometimes do like standing in a concert just because I, I, I feel restricted if I'm sitting and the emotions are moving through me, especially for music that has been very impactful in my life. Um, and I don't like it when somebody says, sit down <laughs> in front, you know, cause <laughs> I'm like, hey, I'm in, I'm in the moment, I'm in the emotion. Like I, I can't really control this, this body which is having these emotions. So that was part one. But part two, the reason for that was I wanted to be able to sit against a wall, feel everything that was coming at me from, from these particular singers and close my eyes and not have to worry about, oh, am I going to get it on my iPhone or how far am I or did I get that picture? I mean, there were don't get me wrong, there were plenty of people in front of me holding up phones and devices between them and said artist. But in those moments where it was between songs and they would talk. And it was very interesting how you said it. It wasn't, hey, Seattle, let's get loud. It was, wow, this is a Tuesday. Like Tuesday feels pretty good in Seattle. You know, how are you guys doing? You know, and and it and it felt it felt much more personalized without a lot of effort, right? It wasn't it wasn't like they needed to say, hey, gentlemen, and in row, you know, 700, like I see you. Um, the effect that was left with me was I had this very intimate experience in this concert um, and I didn't have to have a front row seat. Yeah. One of my favorite 
uh, I don't want to call it a trick, but maybe it's a trick that musicians do is they usually start a song by saying this is a song about X. Mm -hmm. Why do they do that? They're trying to connect the song to something that you care about. They're trying to find a universal theme that connects to the broadest group of people so that you feel something. Yeah. So these are, you know, my lessons in gathering come from entertainment and education and business because that's my background. But when I watch musicians, I go, ah, that's so genius. You're you're trying to personalize on purpose. Yeah, and I could tell you separately. I wrote a whole article about Adele and what she did in her Oprah did you? special okay. because oh, it was we could talk about that offline. It's brilliant. That whole hour special is like you are a gathering yes expert. Yeah, um, but now that you know that model, you meeting the proverbial you, the audience, you can understand why certain things hit you. Yeah, and why they don't. But yeah, I love I love that example. One of the key tenants is of a pull and personalized gathering is having it feel like it was made just for you. Right. And so you know, the, that's the, how. The, yeah. The Adele experience was so interesting and we can certainly geek out on this uh, offline, <laughs> but I will share this. The one night with Adele that she did at the, um, at the observatory, the Griffith observatory in Los Angeles, for those who, who haven't seen it, I'm not giving anything away. I definitely recommend seeing it, but the things that stood out to me were a couple of small things. One was she wore earrings that were Saturn, the planet Saturn, and they were beautiful and they were sort of, you know, like, okay, they were interesting and people who might look at them, you'd say, okay, they're just earrings. But if you, if you kind of knew when you had an inkling for astronomy or maybe astrology or cosmology, like that jumped out to you. And one of the first things I realized was she had the earrings and then she had a, a tattoo that was also of a Saturn, but it was very small. And you could tell that she wasn't covering it, but she was also being a little bit intentional about, you know, um, Mm. having it shown. Immediately, I thought to myself, well, this makes sense. Because the album is called 30. And people between 30 and 33 are going, if you believe this, if you are going into their Saturn return. And so I immediately felt like, okay, hang on a second, I just got an insider look at this entire album. So what I did is after that, I re-listened to the entire album in its entirety through the lens of what it means to go through your Saturn return. And it it took on a whole layer, a whole new layer, a whole new dimension of appreciation and emotion for me. Wow. I, well, first of all, that I did not see that. Um, <laughs> that is really cool. That's way deep. And that's, and that's why that, like that created this connection for me. Mm. And I immediately texted a few other people, you know, people that study cosmology, astrology, the cosmos and said, are you seeing this? And they too were like, I had no idea. And I said, well, go back. Now that you know that, go back and listen and Mm. read the lyrics and you'll, you'll have an entirely different experience with the album. Now I need to do that. Yeah, I picked up on different things, but we all have our lenses, right? And our we things do. that we we look at and and that's that's where some of the cool learning comes from, right? To share yeah. that's why we share these experiences together so we can talk about the things that we're noticing. Again, that's that's the whole point, right? Yeah. That's why we do these things together. Absolutely. So if you think about um and the, just the last couple of questions here, if you think about kind of where where we're at now in the world. Okay, I'm just going to put the, the 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 manifestation out there. <laughs> I think you're about to get really, really busy. 
because people are going to reach out to you and say, hey, the gathering effect is something we need to figure out and we need help doing it, be it through feedback or be it through assessment or be it through co-creation or curation. What are some good examples of what you've seen maybe or or maybe not yet seen um, of how this is being done, I guess I would say well or better? And then the, mm-hmm. And then the second part of that is what would be like a goal that you would like, you would love if this organization or this person called you and said, Hey, we want your help to, to, to plan a gathering. Oh, wow. Huh? Okay. So what, what are people doing well, or what are some small things that people can try? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think the first step that I always tell people is to start by clarifying the effect that you want. Mm -hmm. So one caveat here, you know, there's four effects. There's compliance, informing, entertaining, and engaging. Resist the urge to always say what you need is engagement. We don't always need buy-in, ownership, behavior change for every single gathering, every single change effort. If you're announcing a new employee portal, you don't need engagement. You can just tell people where to click. So that's that's really step one is once you have that clarity on your effect, then you can design or redesign your gathering for that effect. But let's pretend for this example that what, what people want is engagement. So when it comes to moving from push to pull, a couple of things I suggest really are to give your employees a role. So what are you asking them to do throughout the gathering? Could it be, um, hey, we're showing you this for the first time, so we want your feedback? Could it be hold us accountable to what we're describing? Can it be, as we go through today, look for, you know, three things that stand out to you? Whatever that is, you know, I had a great professor in grad school who um, didn't give us a a handout. He gave us an expert worksheet. Mm -hmm. And that worksheet made us active co-creators and elevated our status to feel like we already had a lot of the information. So that's one thing, just to give people a role and ownership in the success of the of the gathering. And then in terms of personalization, going from one size fits all to personalized, a lot of times I see gatherings that are so stuffed full of information that there's no time to digest it or talk yeah. because we believe, again, that quantity is more important than quality and we look for efficiency versus effectiveness. And so um, if it's still hard to get rid of that habit, then the least that we can do is pause after a content-heavy section and give people time to talk or connect to each other or for the more introverted introverted folks in the room for them to think on their own. The scary part there for folks, you know, to, to empathize with, with why this change is hard is it can relinquish control and to feel like I'm just standing on a stage and not saying anything. I guarantee you, though, that it has really strong effects to help people connect the material and feel um, as though their voice matters. Um, so those are a couple tangible things that I, I suggest people do. And, you know, there's there's a, a lot more, um, but those are my go-tos for now. In terms of the, the dream scenario, I yeah. mean, wow. Well, Huh. I think it's probably the White House. Okay. You know, yeah. I, I would I would love to play there. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> but but I think more more honestly, I'd love to eventually go back to my entertainment roots mm-hmm. and have my favorite comedian call me and say, Hey, I'm putting my new one man show together. Can yeah. you help me craft this so it lands and hits? Yeah. I think that's that's really 
where I'd like to circle back to eventually. That's great. I appreciate I appreciate you thinking on that answer, and I, and I I also love it because laughter is such a great medicine, right? Like it's it's an instant mm-hmm. healing tool. Um, and when I think about you know shows like you said, Hannah Gatsby, or you know, but marvelous Mrs. Maisel, what like th- this aspect of giving people the gift of laughter um, in a moment is not only escapism but also one of the few things that you can help somebody get right back in their body, right? I mean, we hmm. to your point around lots of information coming at you, information overwhelmed, content overwhelmed. Um, laughter and humor are wonderful tools to help people get right back into their body um, and, and then do a reset, right? Like laughter um, and then pause. <laughs> but people just kind of experience that euphoria. So I appreciate that uh, that answer. I love I love the idea of the White House. I mean, you think <laughs> about gatherings, you think about um, how formal and informal they can be, how they can be a platform, but also a true gathering for celebration. You think about the White House lawn, right? And how we know it for things like the Easter egg hunt and the Easter egg roll. Um, we know it from even holidays like Thanksgiving and whatnot. So. I love that because it's kind of an infinite canvas, right? It could be anything that you help produce for a gathering. Um, and it is the people's house. So why, not? <laughs> why not? Why not try? Why not try? Absolutely. Um, awesome. Well, lastly, I would love for you to tell people where they can find out more about you, connect to you, and gain some of the resources that you've shared. Sure. Thanks for asking. Yeah, people can find me at my website, which is gatheringeffect.com with an E, effect. Um, or you connect with me on LinkedIn. It's probably the place where I'm uh, clicking around the most. Great. Um, well, I appreciate your time, Lindsay. This was uh, such a joy to have this conversation. And thanks for reaching out. And um, I'm really glad our, our kind of universes uh, collided a little bit here because we're, we're both... Um, we're both hoping for some really great outcomes in, in every gathering that we do. And I'll have to keep it posted on how next week's goes. Um, I don't have any concerts that I'm going to in the future. <laughs> um, I haven't quite gotten myself up to that level of um, social interaction yet, but never say never. I'll, I'll certainly keep you posted. Thanks. And yeah, good luck next week. I, I need to hear how it goes. And thank you so much for having me on. Absolutely. It was a joy. Thanks so much. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Lindsay Kaplan, and I trust you might be able to take out some tips and insights to consider for your next gathering. Before I close, I wanted to mention you may have heard some new intro music in today's episode. You may recall my guest from episode 72, Jason Latham, who is an incredible composer who has taken the opportunity to seasonally update and rewrite and recompose my introductory music. So as a head nod and a hat tip to Jason and his incredible work, I'm going to close out this episode with the entirety of his new composition called Open Water. I encourage you to reach out to Jason if you like what you hear. He is incredible to work with and an amazing partner. Thanks, Jason, for all your help. Enjoy the listen.